0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, friends. I'm so excited to share with you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it is my privilege to guide us for the rest of our time together. It is a great day today. We've got so much happening. It's a good day to be excited, and there are a few things you're going to want to grab to get you ready for everything we have today. And they're both found inside of your program. So go ahead and grab your program. Pull out this card that says, Start Here. Start Here everyone's going to want to put their name on this, and if you're a guest with us, your email address on this, because today we are unveiling our fall life groups, which is very exciting. You're going to want to clap about that. I'll tell you why in a second. Go ahead. Wow, I am overwhelmed by your excitement. Okay, I'll tell you why to be excited, and then you can try that again. We believe that circles— are better than rows at New Life. So we're in rows right now. Rows are great. I make my living communicating to people in rows. We love worshiping in rows. But there's something that happens when we gather together in circles, in small groups to, to share, to pray together, to encourage each other, to care for each other, that we can never get in rows. And life groups are the way that we do that. And today we're unveiling—so get ready. Today we're unveiling our fall life groups. That's exciting. All right. All right. But you're going to need to use this card to get into a group, so get it filled out. The other thing you want to grab are our teaching notes, so go ahead and get that ready. You can take down some questions, thoughts, ideas, and to go home and process that throughout the week. So that's exciting. If you're a football fan, today's exciting because football really kind of kicks off today, so that's fun. And here's what I was thinking. Uh, so that we don't have to spend all season kind of quietly cheering for our own teams, I was thinking that on the count of three— no wait till I say it, on the count of three, we all just shout out who our favorite team is and just get it out of the way so we can be a church together for the whole season, okay? So get ready on the count of three. One, two, three. Chicago Bears! Oh my gosh, all I heard was Chicago Bears. That's fantastic. Fantastic. I didn't know we had so many Bears fans in here. I am so happy that we're all in this together. Go Bears. Beat Pack. It's going to be a good day. Miracles happen every Sunday. So uh, it's just a fun day to be together, especially with so many Bears fans. That's fantastic. 10,000. 10,000. 10,000 a day. That's the amount of words the average American speaks. 10,000 words a day. When you multiply that by 318.9 million people in the United States, do you know how many words that is? Neither do I. <laughs> but it's a lot of words. 10,000 words a a day. And words have so much power and so much potential to either bring us into a full life, a joyful life, or to wreck our lives. Think about some of the best moments that you've had in your life. They were surrounded by words. Will you marry me? It's a boy, it's a girl. We're pregnant. You got the promotion. I love you. But then think about the other words that have changed our lives. I found someone else. You're fired. The cancer came back. Words are so powerful. And we speak on average 10,000 of them a day. In 1938, Time Magazine named Adolf Hitler their man of the year and i read the article highlighting adolf hitler and it said this in a gathering of european leaders one leader stood out above the rest as an electrifying personality whose words could sway the masses and they went on to name him in 38 the man of the year for with his words reunifying a germany that had been destroyed after world war 1 but that same man a handful of years later used his words to spark the Second World War, and to start a Holocaust that has ripple effects even today. 10,000 words a day. In the mouth of Nelson Mandela, those 10,000 words brought about the end to apartheid. In the mouth of Dr. King, those 10,000 words launched a civil rights movement that has forever shaped our country in beautiful ways. 10,000 thousand words have the potential and the promise of bringing great life for us or great pain. And we're in a series right now that we're calling Weird. And in this series, we're looking at the wisdom of God in an Old Testament book of the Bible called Proverbs. And if you're new with us, if you're just jumping in, Proverbs is written primarily by a king in the Old Testament of the Bible named Solomon, who many believe was the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote Proverbs primarily to teach his son how to get it right this time in life. How to, how to live with less pain, less regret, less heartache, more purpose, more passion, more vision, more direction. And so he wrote what in the day was common sense wisdom, but we've been discovering over these past four weeks that it's uncommon today to live with this kind of common sense wisdom, which is why we're calling our series Weird, because normal just doesn't seem to be working And with all of that as our background, wouldn't it make sense that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, would have a lot to say about the words that we choose to speak? In fact, in the book of Proverbs, there are 128 different verses specifically talking about our words. And I initially wrote this message and realized that it was far too big for one sermon, so I split it into two part one and part two. And then I realized as I finished up part one, this could be two different sermons, but I didn't know how far to spread this out. So what we're going to do for these next two weeks is have a mini-series within our series about words. And think of it like this, because we're all re-enrolled this fall in the School of Wisdom with Solomon as our teacher. Think about this as this week being Words 101— it's the basic foundation, and next week being words 201. This is where the stuff really gets good, where we start to really continue to think deeply about the use of our words. But in this survey course on the book of Proverbs, as we're gaining the wisdom from Solomon, we find out that Solomon gives us four ways to get weird with our words. And we're going to talk about the first two today. But as we do, let me just ask you, have you, have you ever said something— and the minute that word came out, you just wished you could you could suck it back in? Yeah. If you're saying no, you're lying, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. So just get ready to repent. We all have. We all 10,000 words a day. We have all said things, and we just wish the minute it went out that we could take it back, but we can't take it back The best we can do at that point is damage control. And we say to ourselves, next time I'm not going to say it. Next time I'm not going to say it. Next time I'm not going to say it. But what if we could get it right this time? See, that leads us to our first main point for today. Solomon says, if you want to get it right this time, you need to let your words be few. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 says this, Sin is not ended by multiplying our words. But the prudent hold their tongues. Have you ever been in a heated conversation with a a supervisor, a co worker, a housemate, a friend, your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, and the conversation keeps going, and the more you talk, the deeper your hole gets? Have you ever been in one of those conversations? And while you're saying it, you're thinking to yourself, I just keep talking, and it just keeps getting worse. How How do I get out of this conversation? and we try to talk ourselves out, and we just dig straight through. That's why he says, listen, multiplying your words doesn't always make it better. Sometimes you just need to be quiet. How about this? Proverbs 21, verse 23. Those who guard their mouths and guard their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Have you ever had something just go totally sideways? It feels like your world is falling apart because of something that you said that you didn't think they'd ever find out about. That just seems like it was right in the moment. He says, those who guard their mouths keep themselves from calamity. Here's one of my favorites, Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. They're thought discerning if they hold their tongues. I want to talk to the single guys in here for a minute. The next time you go to a party, do you want to seem like the smartest person in the room? Do you want to seem like you're a deep thinker? Here's the best advice I could give you, single guys. Just shut up. Just shut up. Just go to the party and don't say anything. Just stand in the circle. First, grow out some facial hair. Then stand in a circle and just nod and rub your chin hmm, yeah. I guarantee every girl there is going to think, wow, he's so deep. He's so mysterious. I wonder what he's thinking. And you're just thinking, I'm so glad I went to church. (laughs) My pastor said to shut up. Have you ever noticed when you're in a group discussion And there's one person who just kind of sits back and listens and takes all the information in. When that one person speaks, maybe five, ten minutes into the discussion, did you ever notice that everybody kind of leans in to know what they're going to say? Because their silence makes them appear wise. There are two types of people in the world. There are people who are quick to speak and people who are slow to speak. Which one do you think I am? Yeah, I'm a quick to speak kind of guy. Now, being a quick to speak kind of person, I'm an external processor. I just kind of say, I have very small filters. Whatever I think comes out. That's why when I tell really ridiculous jokes, I laugh to myself because I haven't thought about it. It just came out, and I am so tickled with myself for being so clever and funny. It doesn't matter if you laugh, I'm laughing. I'm a quick to speak kind of guy. Which is why on not one, but two occasions, once in high school and once in college, when I came out of class and when I came out of the gym, there were men waiting to jump me. Because I am a quick-to-speak kind of guy. They said something, I said something back, very quick, very clever, by the way. Except that they were all bigger than me, all older than me, and they threw me against the wall. I went to counseling, we're okay. (laughs) Being quick-to-speak has its benefits. If you're like me, you know that you're always ready with an answer, even if it's not right. You're always ready with an answer, a thought, an opinion, an idea. The downside is the first thing you think isn't always the best thing. Uh, Sometimes the first answer isn't always the right answer. And sometimes, sometimes, the things that we say when we're quick to speak are just plain hurtful to the people who hear them. So I'm learning. I'm learning whenever a thought, a joke, an idea runs across my brain, to try to hold it for 30 seconds to see, is this really a a good idea to say this out loud? Because while I am an extreme quick-to-speak kind of guy, my wife, Maria, is a slow-to-speak kind of person. She is an internal processor. She takes in information. She thinks about it. She processes it. Now, a show of hands, and I'm going to start with quick talkers, but I want to warn you, Slow talkers, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a minute. So have some time to prepare yourselves for it because you're a slow internal processor. How many quick talkers, quick to speak kind of people do we have in the room? Come on. Show, yeah, my people. You're my people. I love you guys. Excellent. I'm going to talk to you in a minute because I'm talking to us here. All right, how many slow to speak kind of people do we have in the room? Okay, it's about 50-50, as you would assume. I have some some tips for my fellow quick talkers. And again, I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to you, but I wanted you to identify yourself so that when we start talking, you know I'm talking to you. And these are all tips in growing in our self-awareness because part of wisdom says I need to know who I am so I can know how who I am influences those around me. Here's the first thing. If you're a quick talker, if you're quick to speak, always ask the question, why am I saying this before you speak? Always, I have just learned, always ask the question, why am I saying this before we actually speak? That is an incredibly clarifying question that will save you a lot of heartache. Why am I saying this? Is it because this is the first thing that came to my mind, and I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there? Is it because I hate silence? Silence? When you join your life group and we start getting into group, you will immediately recognize the quick talkers in the group because the life group facilitator will ask a question and there will be about a second and a half of silence and that quick to speak kind of person will be physically agitated with the silence and need to say something. Quick talkers, we don't always have to be the first ones to talk. I know it's hard, but it can be good. Why? Why am I going to say what I'm going to say? Is it because I'm hurt? insecure, frustrated, tired? How many times have we gotten in fights, big fights, wreck the whole night, wreck the date, wreck the relationship sort of fights, because we didn't actually know how we were feeling before we started talking? I joke, and some of you have heard me talk about the onion story With Maria and I in our first year of marriage. And here's the onion story. We'd been married for about six months, and I was cutting an onion for dinner. And Maria said to me, Kevin, don't cut the onion that way. If you turn it and cut it this way, it will be a better way to cut the onion. And I said to her, why—let me see, how can I say this in church? (laughs) If you know how to cut the onion, why don't you cut the darn onion yourself. That's how I remember that going. Cut the darn onion yourself. And I threw the knife down. Not joking. I walked out and I slammed the door behind me. If you were to ask me nine years ago, how was I feeling in that moment? I would say, I'm feeling angry. Guys, I want to talk to you for a second. If you're like, amen. (laughs) You're just trying to help her. Yeah, guys, let me talk to you for a second. If your dominant emotion is anger, is anger, Can I tell you, counseling has told me that anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion. You're actually feeling something else, and that's why you're getting angry. How was I really feeling? Well, I was feeling insecure because I didn't know how to cut a stupid onion in my mid-20s. I was feeling like I didn't have any value in the relationship in that moment. I was feeling a lot of things, but what came out was anger. That simple question, what am I feeling right now, before I speak, could save us so much heartache. Quick talkers, I'm just trying to help you out. Because we have such a propensity just to say whatever's on our mind. But Solomon would say, let your words be few, and you will have fewer regrets, fewer hurts, fewer pains in life. Here's another tip for those of us who are quick to speak— this is how we can know if we are losing our audience. Look for signs. Look for signs that, that you're speaking too much. And here's some signs. I just want to help you because I've, I've experienced all these signs, and sociologists tell us these signs. If you're talking in a group and everyone around the circle starts to do this, cover their mouth with their hands, hmm, that's a sign that you're losing them. Covering their mouth, there's a sign. If you're talking to someone and they start to lean back and cross their arms, that's a sign that you're losing them. If you're talking and everyone in the group around you starts looking at their clock, fiddling with their stuff, um, noticing the weather, that's a sign that you're losing them. And again, we're just, we're trying to grow in our self-awareness here as we live wisely. If you're a quick talker, read the signs. And then the wise thing to do in that moment would be to shut up. That would be the wise thing to do. (laughs) Slow talkers, people who are slow to speak, internal processors. I like to keep things inside, figure out the whole thing before I share anything. Can I talk to you slow talkers for a second? We need you. We need your insight, your opinions, your wisdom. In your family, slow talkers, we need you. In our church community, we need you. In your business, they need you. Your family, need you, your friends need your voice. And on behalf of quick-to-speak people everywhere, just let me apologize for the fact that we tend to dominate conversations. I was out in the lobby after first service, and I walked right into a conversation two guys were having, and I just started talking. And then three minutes later, I said, hey guys, sorry I interrupted your conversation, and the wife of one of the guys who walked up. She said, that's okay, you're just a quick-to-speak kind of guy. It's like, oh. she was totally right we got to slow down. So here's some tips. If you are a leader, and remember in our series on Nehemiah, we said that leadership is just influence, and we all influence someone, so we're all leaders somewhere. If you're influencing people and you want to get the most out of people who are slow to speak, here's just some tips. And these aren't in your notes, so you might just want to write them down somewhere. If you want to empower slow talkers in your family, let's say, One of the things we're working on in families in the church is having meals together, because that's a weird thing in our culture today, but we know it's so good to sit around a table, to share food, to talk about our day. Before you have dinner, tell your family, tonight I want us to share one high and one low from the day. Give the internal processors time to process the question— I think a lot of times we get around the table, we say, how was your day? Give me a high and a low. And then our kids don't say anything. And we assume they're just being difficult, but it could be that they're internal processors and they don't actually know the answer to that question right now. And so they're thinking and trying to pull up the day and trying to figure out what really was my high? What really was my low? How'd the day go? And we think they're just being obstinate, but they're not. They're just trying to think. Or maybe, maybe they're, I don't know, a teenage girl. I don't know. There's lots of options, but one could be, one could be. Assistant, jo- or boy, or boy, thank you. <laughs> I'm a quick talker. <laughs> shut up, shut up. It could be that they just don't know. Give them some time. If you lead a company or an organization and you want to have a group discussion, send the agenda out early. Don't bring Slow to speak people into a discussion and immediately make them share all their opinions and thoughts in a brainstorming dialogue. It will never work. You'll never get the best out of them. Can I get an amen from a slow talker? (laughs) Give them the agenda early. Find one of your slow to speak people in the hallway and say, hey, later on today we're going to have a conversation about this and I really want your opinion. Can you think about what you want to share? It will benefit you, it will benefit your business, it will benefit our families, it will benefit our small groups if we can get the information out early. That's why when it comes to our life groups, we're going to have the life group discussion questions on your teaching notes the Sunday before we actually go into the message. So those of us who are internal processors have time to think about the questions that we're going to dig into. Let my words be few. Oh boy, the wisdom in that is so powerful. And the next one is let my words be true. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says, the Lord detests, he hates lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Proverbs twenty five eighteen says, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is someone who gives false testimony against their neighbor. When we lie, we just tear people up. We, we hurt them. We shred them to pieces. We stab them through the heart. She so says, let your words be true. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to fall into half-truth? Little white lies. How easy it is to to omit certain things. And that cycle just spirals. And before we know it, we're constantly adding to our half-truth, our white lies, our omissions to make sure that we keep the story straight with everyone around us. And we're constantly looking over our shoulders. It starts off innocently, but I'm telling you, lying traps us. So Solomon says, just don't don't do it. And I know what you're thinking. It's easier, though. It's easier when your spouse comes home and says, hey, what'd you do today? It's easier to leave out the shopping trip than to talk about the shopping trip, because you know if you tell them, I went shopping, got some clothes, got some shoes. Guys, I'm talking to you right now, just so we're all on the same page. Got some clothes, got some shoes. Then your wife's going to want to have the budget conversation, and you don't want to have the budget conversation. So you just say, oh, it was a great day. We went to the grocery store, picked up the kids. We leave out the shopping trip. Just an omission of part of my day. As gently as I can, can I just say that is the beginning of lies. And once it sneaks in, boy, it just grows and grows and grows. Most of the time, we lie because we're terrified about what other people will think of us. So we try to protect ourselves. We're scared of what they'll think about us as parents if they know what our kids did at school. We're scared of what they'll think about us as employees if they know we didn't get the job done. We're scared of what mom and dad will think about us if they find out we got an F on that test or didn't get our homework done. We are scared about what people will think so we protect ourselves. The problem is we are trapping ourselves in a web of protection. And it only always hurts us. One of my biggest regrets in my time following Jesus happened when I was in college. I just turned 21. I, I went to Sonoma State, just up the road. I was a community service advisor, which is, which is the equivalent to an RA, a resident advisor in the dorms. And I was one of, I think, five Christian RAs at all of Sonoma State. We were trying to love people, to serve people, to, uh, to influence our campus, to engage with God. But when I turned 21, I had just been dumped by a girl I dated for two years, and I was on a downworld self-pity spiral. And I had this great idea. I thought, what if I go get a ton of beer, and I, I bring it back to one of the other Christian RAs dorm rooms, who's not 21, and I invite the other three Christian RAs over, who also aren't 21, and we all just get drunk. And I'm not talking sipping a little of Sonoma County's best. I'm talking dancing around a sombrero. It really happened, dancing around a sombrero drunk like super drunk. That's a great idea, right? And that's—somebody said yes. I think they meant it. No is the answer. No. It was a bad idea. And we did it, and we got smashed. I mean, sick drunk. It didn't take but 10 to 15 hours before we got back to our bosses. I mean, it spread like wildfire. The only five Christian RAs on the entire campus all got together, and Kevin got them all drunk. So I got called into my supervisor's office. I was still hungover. They said, hey, we heard you guys were drinking on campus. You know that's illegal. You could lose your job as an RA for doing that. And you know what I did? I totally lied about it. I denied the whole thing. Nope, didn't do it. Never happened. You can't prove it. We recycled, just lied about the whole thing, lied about the whole thing. But they knew, they knew. And so we all got busted. I actually had to go around to every freshman in the dorms and have them fill out an alcohol awareness survey as my punishment. And something in me, and I can tell you now it was God's Holy Spirit, because Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit leads us to truth, that he empowers us to do the right thing, but that the Holy Spirit also convicts us when we're not living right with God. God's Spirit gently but firmly convicted me for the next six months. And I actually had a physical response to my lying. Every time I was around any of my supervisors, I started to physically shake and I couldn't control myself because I had trapped myself in this lie. And finally, I had enough and I went back to my supervisors and I wrote out a formal confession and a formal apology, and I asked them to forgive me, and I presented it to them, and I verbally confessed and apologized and asked them to forgive me, and my non-Christian supervisors to a person forgave me, and I still have a relationship with many of them 10, 15 years later. But I'm telling you, if that story resonates with you at all, if something in you feels like, yeah, white lies, omissions of truth, it's creeping in, Can I be as honest as I can? That could be God's Spirit. Because God doesn't want that for you. He does not want that for you. And the only way to break the power of lies in our lives, and the only way to live honestly is to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a personal relationship with a God who knows everything you've ever done, and loves you anyway, and values you anyway, and calls you his daughter or his son anyway. And the only way to not worry about our standing before people is to have a firm identity in our standing before God, that we are his children and nothing could ever change that. And the more I realized my standing before God, the easier it was for me to be honest in front of other people because all of a sudden, whatever they thought about me, I didn't have to protect myself and shield myself because God, God believes in me and God believes in you. And as we close our time up in a few minutes, I'm going to give us some space and I'm actually going to pray for us because I think there are some of us who who we're stuck right now in some lies that we want to break free from. And I'm going to pray for God to do that in our lives. Here's some practical ideas. If you find yourself stuck in lies and you want to start growing in the truth, for some of us, we just need to start detoxing. Lying is addicting like anything else, and sometimes we need to, to detox. And the first way to detox is if you haven't been 100% truthful, go back and make it right. Go back and make it right. Hiddenness, shame, keeping things secret, it's the best breeding ground for sin. And it's the quickest way to feel distant from God and closed off to those around you. But when we confess, when we get things right, it's the quickest way to bring freedom. And here's what I'll say to those of us who are having this internal dialogue right now, thinking, yeah, but but that thing I did or that lie I told, that was like five years ago or ten years ago. To the best of my understanding of the Bible, there is no statute of limitations on honesty. Like, you don't get to just grandfather out of it— so go back and make it right. I've talked to to a number of couples, and one of the spouses had done something in their past, and God convicted them of it, and they went back, and they confessed it, and they were honest, and they were humble, and they sought forgiveness And their marriage. The spouse would have said, I knew there was something there. I couldn't put my finger on it. I knew there was something there. And when the other spouse came clean— because of their humility and their love for each other and their love for God, they worked it out and they're better now than they ever were. And friends, that's what I want for every one of us. So some of us, we need to go back and make it right. Here's another practical tip. If you want to grow in your honesty, practice ruthless honesty for a month. Now, with this as your caveat, don't forget point one. Let my words be few. Let my words be few. Sometimes, For some of us, this month is going to be very quiet. You're going to get down to like 2,000 words a day. (laughs) Let my words be few. That doesn't mean you say everything that crosses across your externally processing mind. That is not what I mean. What I mean is that we choose honesty even in the face of having to deal with people around us and wondering what are they going to think about me. Some of us need to swing the pendulum back over to the other side. So when someone says, how are you doing today? You say, you know what? I'm not doing very good. Or I'm doing great today. Thanks for asking. Hey, how'd that meeting go? We tell them the truth. Did you finish all of your homework? And we have to say, moms and dads, by the way, you should have all your kids listen to this podcast just for that point. Did you finish all your homework? You have to be honest about it. Um, do you want to go on a date? Listen, ladies, if you don't want to go on a date with him, save him the pain and just say no. That's okay. Be honest. Does this dress make me look fat? Not to me. Not to me. Nope. Not to me. That's honest. (laughs) Write that down, guys. Not to me. Not to me. Nope. Not to me. Honest. Amen. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Moms and dads, let me talk to you for a second. If you see your kids starting down a path of half-truth or leaving things out, that's a serious thing. A serious thing. Studies are showing that these patterns of lies begin early in our children's development and it gets harder to break the longer it goes. My daughter's been in school for a few weeks now. She's come home twice bawling. She's six years old. So, what happened? She said, Well, a boy at school said I was bad at soccer. Not true, obviously. Four goals. Not true. <laughs> She's bawling. I said, well, let's go back tomorrow and talk to the teacher and make it right. So she went in and talked to the teacher. I kind of stood behind her. She and the teacher and this boy had a conversation later that day. Three days later, she comes back home again, bawling. I said, what happened? Well, now he says, I'm a tattletale and I'm bad at soccer. I said, honey, did you go and talk to the teacher? She said, yeah, I did. We we got it figured out. I said, that's good because I'm actually going to go talk to the teacher right now because I know they're finishing their staff meeting. I'm going to go have a conversation with them. And she said, well, actually, Dad, uh, I, didn't, I didn't talk to the teacher. I forgot, I forgot to tell you I didn't actually talk to the teacher. <laughs> I said, honey, honey, you didn't forget. You just made up a whole story that wasn't true. And here's why she did it. She didn't want to get called tattletale again. She didn't want to get picked on by this bully again. She was afraid of what this person would think about her so she's told a lie. That's how it starts, innocently. So we talked about the truth and telling the whole truth and how we want to be a people who are honest. If we see our kids going down these patterns, I'm not saying we we beat the fear of the Lord into them. I'm saying we talk to them about honesty. Moms and dads, it is our job to protect our kids from going down these paths. It's It's our responsibility to train our kids in honesty because we all want friends who are honest, spouse who's honest, employees who are honest. We all want to be honest people. And if we just got these two things right, if we let our words be few and let our words be true, then those 10,000 words we speak a day could bring more life and joy and passion than you ever imagined. Just those two principles. No more worrying about who said what, who knows what. No more looking over your shoulder boy, there's some joy there. There's some peace there. You could lay your head down on the pillow at night and think to yourself, I did it right today. I know that's what we want, and I know that's what God wants for us. Because there's the great thing about God. God's words are always true. And I want to leave you with one of God's truths. It's found in Psalms 103, verse 12. And it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sin from us. That's one of my favorite truths in the Bible. That those of us who are followers of Jesus, as far as the East is from the West, when we enter into a relationship with God, he forgives us of our sin, those destructive patterns that are hurting us and separating us from God. He forgives us of our sins and he removes our sin from us as far as the East is from the West and he fills us with his spirit so we can live life with him. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God, experienced him filling you with his spirit, if you've never experienced the freedom that comes from having your sin removed from you, then I want to give you a chance to do that. I'm going to pray in just a minute. I'm going to give you a chance to say a prayer of commitment to God where you would say yes to Him. But before I do that, I'm going to pray for all of us, and I'm going to give us a chance, those of us who know we have to have a hard, honest conversation this week, I'm going to give us a chance to to pray for you, to ask for God's best for you. So would you close your eyes? because I'm going to do something a little different. Go ahead and close your eyes as we begin to pray. And I know this is a bit of a risk, but I'm going to ask you if God's Spirit has been gently but firmly showing you that there's someone you have to go back to and be honest and ask for forgiveness and restore that relationship. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. I know it's a big step. Now, praise God. I know it's a huge step to be that honest, I know it can be scary, but if you're going to do that, I just want to pray for you. I see a number of hands going up. Praise God. All right, I'm going to pray for you right now. Holy Spirit, I would ask that you would be true to who you are, that you would give my, my friends in this room the courage and the humility and the clarity to be able to go back into a conversation and make things right and be honest and to ask for forgiveness. And I'm praying, God, that you would be working in that other person's life as well so that humbly they could come together and restore a relationship that's been broken and build a relationship on a foundation of trust. God, would these conversations lead to more freedom and more joy than they ever thought possible? I'm asking that in Jesus' name. And as we continue to pray, if you're here and you're ready to commit your life to God, you can repeat these simple words after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. And that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you made either of those decisions today, I want you to know these are good decisions that will lead you to freedom. And I'm so excited for the work God's doing in your lives right now. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.